Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. While they're bringing the podium out, um, back in January, I preached a sermon in this church called Choices. And the point that I was trying to make, thanks guys, the point I was trying to make in that sermon is that our choices matter. You see, our choices matter because our choices reflect not only who we are, they reflect who we're becoming. And what I didn't do in that sermon, and I hope I made that point, but what I didn't do in that sermon, thank you, is I didn't spend a lot of time on giving you some practical advice on how to make good, godly, Christ-like choices. And that's what I want to do uh, today. Now, before I get there, I want to say something. I don't know if there's ever been a more difficult time for Christians to make good, Christ-like choices. And there's really two reasons for that. Number one, to be frank, we are facing issues and questions in our culture that our grandparents and those before them never had to face. But the second reason is we are under an intense pressure, an intense cultural pressure to conform. You know, when I was growing up years ago, you know, you could agree to disagree, but for some reason that's changed. You are now supposed to conform. Like Daniel, you are being told you better eat the king's meat. And so in in this culture and in this time that we have, it's very difficult for us as Christians sometimes to make good Christ-like choices. And I want to give you today um, some thoughts, or I'll give you a few thoughts, in fact, three thoughts on how we... Uh, do that. The title of my message is Navigating in a Cultural Fog. Navigating in a Cultural Fog. Before I begin, let's, can we just very quickly, let's pray. Father, as always, I'm asking you one thing. Do not let me say anything here today that you don't want me to say, but let me say everything you do want me to say. Not a word more, not a word less. I pray, Spirit, that you give us ears to hear, I pray that you give us a heart to understand, and most importantly, you empower us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. If I was to say the name John F. Kennedy, then everybody here knows who he is. Uh, He was our 35th president. But I was a lot of kids standing up here earlier. For those of you that are under 30 or 35, you're probably not as familiar with his son, John F. Kennedy Jr., there's, a, there's an iconic photo of, of JFK's funeral, and at his funeral there's a little boy about three years old, and he's saluting. Have any of y'all seen that photo? He's saluting his father's coffin. That's, that's John F. Kennedy Jr. Well, of course, he grew up and uh, became a man, and on July 16, 1999, he arrived at the Essex County Airport in New Jersey. Along with him was his wife, Carolyn, and her sister, Lauren. He had just received his private pilot's license about one year earlier in April of, of 1998. And they were getting there at the airport and they were flying up to Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off the coast of Massachusetts. It's a flight that would normally 
have taken them about an hour and 20 minutes. Now, they intended to leave at 6 o'clock. Remember, this is July, so the days are longer. So they would have landed about 7.20 or 7.30. And if they had left on time, they would have made the the flight in broad daylight. But they didn't leave at 6 o'clock. They got delayed getting out of the city, delayed by uh, traffic, and delayed by, uh, by uh, uh, just work and some different things. And they ended up not taking off until 8.38 p.m., which is about a half hour after sunset. One hour and three minutes later, at 9.41 p.m., seven miles from Martha's Vineyard, their plane crashed nose first into the Atlantic Ocean. Now, there was a big recovery effort, and, and they eventually found the, the plane in about 120 feet of water, and they recovered the bodies still, still strapped into their seats. And as there always is, there's an investigation. And so the, the government investigated, and the investors, investigators determined that the cause of the crash was something called spatial disorientation. You see, John Jr., as a relatively new pilot, he was only trained to fly under what is known as visual flight rules. In other words, he was fine as long as he could look out the window of his plane and see landmarks. As long as he could see the horizon, as long as, as he could see uh, stars above or, 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 the, or the lights of the city below, as long as he had a visual reference to orient himself, he was absolutely fine. And by the way, that's, that's not a weird thing, right? We do it every day when we drive our cars. We all drive our cars, we see, we feel things, and that's exactly... He, he was qualified to fly by what he saw and how he felt. And as long as he did that, he was fine. But two things happened that evening that turned out to make that a fatal flight. The first one was his route. You see, he could have taken the route up along the coast of Rhode Island. He could have went along the coast of Massachusetts, and he could have hugged the coastline. And if he would have, he would have had the city lights out to his west, and he would have been able to see where he was. But he made a decision to follow the most direct route, which was across open water. That route put him about 30 miles off the coastline, so he couldn't see anything, couldn't see any lights. He's just out there over the open ocean, the blackness of the ocean below maybe the stars, maybe he's got enough light to see the horizon. If that would have been the case, he would have been fine. But then the second thing happened, and that is the weather changed. Now, the the weather wasn't bad, per se, but it was July, it was a hot, muggy night, and out over the ocean, it tends to get foggy, and it tends to get hazy. Now, pilots can fly in that situation, because basically what happened, now he's out over the ocean, it got foggy, And everything looks the same. He can't tell east from the west. He looks up and he sees fog. He looks down and he sees fog. There's no horizon. There's no lights. It's like you have no visual help at all to orient yourself. As I said, pilots can fly like that, but they have to be what's called instrument trained or instrument certified. You see, they train pilots, and I'm not a pilot, but uh, what they do is they train you. When that happens, focus on your instruments. Your instruments will tell you your flight speed. Your instruments can tell you how far above the ground you are. Your instruments will tell you if your wings are level or not. Focus on your instruments. But John Jr. was not instrument certified or instrument trained. So what happened is he got confused. 
when they went back later and they looked at the radar, he was going along fine for a while, and all of a sudden he began to drift. He began to go right for a little bit, and then he, it showed him going back left, and then he went down, and then he went up. It just, they could tell he was completely disoriented, completely confused. One report, when he hit the water, he was traveling at 4,700, he was descending at 4,700 feet per minute. In that plane, the typical descent speed is 600 feet per minute if you're coming in for a landing. He was going at 4,700, almost five times as fast. One report, basically when he hit the water, he was going full power. One report said that I read said he may have been so confused that he had the plane upside down. That when he thought he was pulling back on the stick and going up, in reality, he was heading straight into the water and to his, uh, in, and to his death. Now, you may say to me, okay, interesting story. 20 years, in fact, it'll be 20 years ago next month. What is a story, a thing that happened 20 years ago, have anything to do with you and I on a Sunday morning at River of Life? Because I think that story is almost a perfect illustration, a, a parable, if you will, of the Christian life. Imagine with me, if you will, Imagine with me for a minute, if you will, that the Christian life is like that plane. And you and I are piloting this plane, and we're trying to get to our destination, right? We're trying to make good decisions. We're trying to make good choices to get to where we're going. And when we look outside our window, we try to find things to visually help us, right? We're saying, okay, what, what, can I find, how do I, is there anything outside my window that would help me make good decisions. When I was growing up, their Ten Commandments were on the wall of my school. When I was growing up, my teachers would say the blessing with me before I went to lunch. When I was growing up, when I turned on a television and it showed a family, it always showed a man and a woman and they were married. Are you with me? See, when I was growing up, when you looked out the window, there were visual references. There were landmarks that helped you. You may not even be in a Christian, but there were things out there saying, this is right, this is wrong, go this way. They, that's all gone. That's all gone. You see, when we look out the window now and we try to get our... There's nothing outside that window that's going to help you. We are told now, beyond that, here's the thing. Not only are there no landmarks, the fog is rolled in. Satan is doing everything in his power. If you can't figure this out, he's doing everything in his power to obscure God. He's doing everything in his power to obscure Christianity, to obscure Christ. We live in a time where behavior that's been wrong for thousands of years, we're now said, that's normal. We're told that everything we see came out of absolutely nothing. We are told that there is no such thing as absolute truth. We are told that men become, can become women and women can become men. There was a time we could put our kids in front of the television and let them watch TV. Now, uh, cartoons like Arthur and My Little Pony are introducing gay characters. You can't even put your kids in front of a cartoon anymore and think that the world will just teach them right and wrong. And the precious, precious name of Jesus Christ is used as a cuss word. Not Buddha, not Allah, 
the one who died for our sins, turn on any television show and watch who they use as a cuss word, is Jesus Christ. My, my point is this, there is little to nothing outside of our windows anymore that can help us make good, Christ-like decisions. So what do we do? How do we make upright decisions in an upside-down world? How do we navigate in this cultural fog? This morning, I want to give you three very practical things. Now, before I do, I want to say this is not a comprehensive list. In fact, when I started putting this together, I I got six, then I had seven, then I had eight, then I had twelve. And you may come up to me and say, well, you didn't say this, and and you're right. I didn't. I found out over time, if you give people 15 things, they won't remember any of them. Give them one, give them two, give them three, and we can... can. So I'm just going to give you three. Um, There are more. Number one, how do we navigate in a cultural fog? Do not trust your feelings. Do not trust your feelings. Let me tell you, there are millions of people in church and out of church walking around this country... And they're making, by the way, that's life is nothing but making hundreds of decisions every day. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to hang out with? What words do I say? What words do I not say? Hundreds of decisions. And we are walking around making decisions. And our number one criteria is how do I feel about this? I was curious this week about how somebody like John Jr. could get so spatially disoriented. So I, I sat down Monday and I had breakfast with Ron Huddleston. I don't know, uh, Ron's not here today. He's, uh, he's, his uh, mom's got Alzheimer's and so he stays home and, and he's taking care of her. But I met with him Monday and for those of you that don't know Ron, Ron is a, Navy, a trained Navy pilot. He retired from the Navy. He flew jets. In fact, Ron is the guy that lands jets on an aircraft carrier. Things that we just see in the movies, Ron actually did those things. So he's trained to fly with his instruments. And so I sat him down and I said, Hey, Ron, tell me a little bit about your, your training. And, and an antidote that he told me I thought you'd find very interesting. He says when they train pilots, before they ever put them in a simulator, before they ever actually put them in a plane, they teach them about the human body. They teach them about physiology. You see, down in our inner ear, way down deep in our inner ear, are these little microscopic hairs and they're surrounded by fluid. And when we move, when we go forward or we go back or we go to the left or go right or up or down, this fluid in our ear moves. And when it moves, it moves these little hairs. And that's how we orient ourselves. That's that's how we maintain our balance, our equilibrium. If anybody of you have ever had vertigo, you know that is a bad, bad thing. That little system gets out of whack. But it's it's how we orient ourselves in in three, three dimensions. And he was telling me before they ever put them in a simulator, they did a really simple lesson. They took them in a room. In the middle of the room was an office chair, just a simple office chair that you turn around. And they asked for a volunteer, and they took one of them, and they put them in the chair, and they blindfolded them completely so they couldn't see anything. And they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to turn you to the right or to the left. And, and what we want you to do is this. If you feel yourself going to the right, just point your thumbs to the right. If you feel yourself going to the left, point your thumbs to the left. And if you feel yourself stopping, just point your thumbs straight up and down. So they put him in the chair, they blindfolded him, and and Ron said they turned him to the right. Well, immediately, when he turned to the right, he felt himself going to the right, and he pointed to the right. But there's this odd thing about these these little hairs in our ear. If you keep going in that direction, eventually those hairs will equalize. 
they'll go back to their neutral state. So here's the guy in a chair, and he's turning around to the right, and after a few seconds, he raises his fingers up. He thinks he's stopped, and everybody in the room can see that he's still going around. Now, those, those Navy trainers are trying to make a point to these young pilots, and this is their point. Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will get you killed. Don't trust your intuition. Don't trust impressions. Trust your instruments. They never lie. They're always going to be right. So that's the point they're trying to make. And that's the number one mistake that I believe Christians around this country are making. They're making decisions trusting their feelings. They're trusting their feelings. Have you ever thought... Let me, let me explain why this is so wrong. Have you ever thought for a moment... I, I don't know why my mind thinks this way, but I tend to ask questions. you ever thought for a moment that God could have done things differently than He did? He could have done things a lot of different ways. For example, God can say, You know what? I'm not going to give them... I'm not going to write anything down. We don't need anything written down. I'm just going to give them the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside each person, and I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit guide that person through feelings. I'm just going to let them guide that person through intuition or through impressions. We don't need to really write anything. We'll just let the Holy Spirit guide people that way. He could have done it that way, couldn't he? But he didn't. But he didn't. Why? Because God knows that feelings are inherently wrong. They are dangerously unstable. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, I've been a Christian for a long time and I consider myself a fairly mature Christian. I can tell you I have feelings all the time. i got no clue. Is this me or is it the Holy Spirit? There ain't a green light that goes on and says, Hey, this is the Holy Spirit. And a red light pops up and says, No, dummy, this is you. Right? Y'all got a light like that? I don't. I, 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 I don't, I, sometimes I don't even know my own motives. That's what the Bible says. It, your, your heart, who can know it? You, you can't. Listen to me, folks. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you not through feelings and impressions and intuition. He wants to lead you through this. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. John 17, 17 says, Your word is truth. You see, on that night 20 years ago, JFK trusted his feelings. He trusted what he felt, and it killed him. And if you and I try to go through this life making decisions on how we feel, it will kill you. It can, it has the, it has the, the, it, it can kill this church, it can kill your family, and it can kill you and you say, Well, how can you say that? That's not me. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that feels right. This feels right. But the Bible says the end of that is death. So so you and I, we're getting think again back to our little parable here. We're in this plane. We're trying to navigate this Christian life. We're getting no help from outside. And now we've learned, as those Navy pilots did, you cannot trust your feelings. So what? how do we navigate? This is your instrument panel. This is your instrument panel. This book never lies. 
This book never deceives. This book never changes. It's always right. It's always true. It's always pure. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be complete? All Scripture is breathed out by God. You want to be trained? You want to make good decisions? You want to know what to do in certain situations? This is the book. He wrote it all down. Listen, I believe this is the inerrant Word of God. I believe this today more than I did 25 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 every day that goes by. I'm convinced more and more this is the inerrant Word of God. There is not a single thing happening in our culture that this book hasn't already foreseen. There's not a question you can ask that this book doesn't have an answer for. There's not an issue that you'll run into that this book can't relate to. We've got to trust our instrument panel. So the first thing we don't trust is our feelings. That's number one. The second point or second thought I want to give you is this. How do we navigate in a cultural fog? Just obey the clear Word of God. Listen, I understand that there are things in the Bible that can be hard to understand. I get that. But I'm going to tell you that's 1%. 99% of the Bible is as clear as a bell. It's just as clear as a bell. I understand 1% of it might be hard, but 99% of it is just clear. There are so many things in this Bible that clearly commands us to do something or it clearly forbids us to do something. You don't need to interpret it. You don't need to translate it. It's just, it's just right there in plain English. The question is, are you going to obey it? Now, I said that I was going to give you some very practical advice. And that's exactly what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to take two issues that we are facing in our culture, and I'm going to deal with them from the Word of God. I'm going to show you how to use the Word of God. Now, the first one is a church issue. And be quite honest with you, for 2,000 years, this has pretty much been a non-issue. But in our culture today, all of a sudden, this has become controversial. You ready? Should women become pastors? And the church goes deathly silent as, as I say that. <laughs> so I'm not going to get any help from outside. I can't look out in the world and say, okay, they're going to help me. No, it's just a fog out there. I, I, I know I can't trust my feelings. So what do I do? I, I open my instrument panel and I begin to read. And in my instrument panel, I find this, 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 13. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And you can hear a pin drop as I say that. Now, I want to say a couple things about that. I have the highest respect for women. The highest respect for women. I'm 56 years old. I spent the first 20 years of my life with a godly woman, and I've spent the last 36 years of my life married to a godly woman. And I can tell you that both of those women are just as worthy as I am. They're just as valuable as I am, and they're just as capable as I am. And in some ways, they're more capable than me. 
And I can tell you as clear as I can from the bottom of my heart, both of those women are better Christians than me. You say, how do you know that? Because I know them and I know myself. They are better Christians than I am. But folks, they cannot do what I'm doing right now. They cannot speak the Word of God with authority to a man. They cannot do that. The Bible forbids it. Now, you may say to me, well, why? The only answer I can give you is the answer that Paul gave. Paul said, because Adam was created first, then Eve. You see, on the sixth day of creation, God made a decision, and that decision was to create man first and woman second. In other words, on the sixth day, God created order, and He created roles. And He assigned those roles to the family, and He assigned roles to the church. And He says, that's the way it is. And you may say to me, well, why? Listen, it's His world, I just live in it. You heard that saying? It's His world, I just live in it. And you may say, but why? Like I said, he's, let me tell you, if you really want to push it, I can give you two answers. The first comes from Romans 9. This is what God says. Does the clay say to the potter, why have you made me this way? Or maybe Job, when Job questioned God, God said, okay, Job, were you there when I hung the moon and the stars? Were you there when I set the breadth of the ocean and I told it you can go this far and not any more than that? Were you there, Job? If you are, let's talk. God's point was, I make decisions because I'm God. I do things because I know what's best for you, things that you don't know. Now let me tell you, you may say to me, that don't feel right. That doesn't feel fair. Would it surprise you? I I agree with you. It doesn't feel fair. And there are churches all over America that are ordaining women as pastors. And they're doing it not because the Word says they can do it. They're doing it because it feels right. Are you with me? And I'm here to tell you, they are not being led by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God never leaves a church or a person to do anything contrary to their Word. Never. Never. They're not being led by the Spirit of God. And by the way, there's only two spirits in this world. If you're not being led by the Spirit of Christ, you're being led by the Spirit of Antichrist. So which is it? The Bible's clear. Do I trust my feelings or do I trust my instrument panel? Do I trust my feelings or do I trust my God? That's the question that always faces us. It may not feel right. It may not feel fair. Which one am I going to trust? Number three, don't trust your feelings. Trust the clear Word of God. But what if you open this book and there is no clear command? I said I was going to be practical, so here's another question. This is an actual question submitted by a Christian to a pastor. I have a close relative that is getting married to someone of the same sex. Should I go to the wedding? Now, you cannot go to this Bible and find a scripture that says, yes, you should go, or no, you shouldn't go. Everybody clear about that, right? There's, There's no anything expressly forbidden or expressly commanded. Now, let me say to this, I've never had this particular 
question come up in my life. Never, never had to deal with this. But a couple years ago, I made a decision. I said, you know what? Just in case it ever happens, I'm going to go ahead and settle it in my heart. I'll throw this one in for free. This is not part of my message, but I'll throw it in for free. A lot of times we mess up because we make decisions under time constraints. Something gets thrown at us and we've got to make a quick decision. And sometimes we end up just flying by the seat of our pants. Well, I feel like it's right. Sometimes it would be helpful if you'd go ahead and decide in your heart what you're going to do while you've got plenty of time. So that's what I did a couple years ago. I sat down and said, okay, if it ever happens to me, let's go ahead and make the decision. What am I going to do? So I opened the Bible and I began to read and I began to search. And my answer is no. My answer is no. But that's not the important thing. What's important is why. What did I find in the Bible that made me think, okay, I cannot do this. Well, one of the things that Paul tells us to do, he says, Paul understands, let me read a scripture for you. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Paul says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. You see, Paul understands that sometimes we're going to come to the Bible and we, 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 we can't find a scripture that says do this or don't do this, and it's kind of up to you. Paul says, okay, just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's lawful, you can go do it, but ask yourself this question, is it helpful to that person? Is it, does it build that person up? So I began to look at scriptures and say, okay, well maybe, maybe it's loving. Maybe if I go, maybe I can kind of create a relationship that, that helps them. And I began to look for scriptures along that lines. And then I ran across this, 1 Corinthians 10, 27 through 29. Paul says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And then Paul makes this incredible statement. He says, I'm not talking about your conscience. I'm talking about his conscience. Now let me explain what's going on here. Paul says, by the way, this is 2,000 years ago in the Greek and Roman days, and Paul says, somebody invites you over to dinner, and you go. If you want to go, go. He says, i got no problem with that. And you get there, and the guy pulls these, these ribeyes off the grill. Man, my favorite steak. He pulls a ribeye off the grill, and it's, he puts it in front of you, and it's sizzling, and, and, and Paul says, eat it. Dive in. It's just meat. Meat is not good or bad in the sense of righteous or evil, right? It's just, it's just meat. Paul says, if you want to eat it, eat it. I got no problem with that. And Paul says, you're getting ready to cut into that meat. And the guy says, oh yeah, by the way, this was offered to demons. You see, in that day, they, would, and they had the Roman gods, Zeus, Aphrodite, uh, 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 Apollos, those kind of gods, and they would sacrifice to them. They'd sacrifice animals. Well, when they're done sacrificing, they got to do something to the meat. So they would take it to the market and they'd put it up for sale and people would buy it and eat for dinner. So he says, you're fixing to bite into this piece of meat. And the guy says, oh yeah, by the way, this was offered to demons. Paul says, stop. Stop. Don't eat it. Now why? Has the meat changed? No. It's still just meat. It's not infused with some kind of demon poison or anything like that. It's, it's still just a, a ribeye like it was a minute earlier. Paul says, don't do it for the sake of his conscience. Not yours, his What's Paul saying? Paul says, when you sit there, if he says, hey, this has been sacrificed to demons, you say, whatever. 
What you're basically saying is, I bless that. I have no problem with that. That doesn't affect me at all. Big deal. And that guy's sitting on the other side of the table, and maybe his conscience has been bothering him about this demon stuff, and all of a sudden there's a Christian on the other side of the table saying, hey, I got no problem with it. What happens? His conscience gets hardened. His conscience can get seared. He becomes, the next time he has to go buy meat, or next time he has to participate in something, he's more apt to do it because Christians don't have any problems with it. Are you with me? There is no difference that I see going to a gay wedding. When I go to that wedding and I participate in that, what I'm saying with my presence is I'm blessing that thing. I'm saying, I got no problem with this. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. And that couple on the other side, they look out there and they see that Christian and maybe there was something going on with their conscience. Maybe they weren't quite feeling right about this. And they look out there and say, well, the Christians don't have any problem with it. The Christians think it's okay. See, not only is it not helpful, I would be participating in hardening somebody's heart. I would be participating in searing somebody's conscience. And I can't, I can't do that. Another question I asked myself, I actually came up with four things, but I won't give you two of them. Another question I asked myself is, is, is it loving? Is it loving? And what I came to is not only is it not loving, it's hateful. If I saw a man walking out in the road and there's a truck coming, I could sit back and say, you know what, I'm a tolerant guy. You know, if you want to walk in front of a truck and kill yourself, it's none of my business. And I could just keep my... How much do I have to hate somebody to let them get mashed by a truck? How much would I have to hate somebody to let them do that? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will never inherit the kingdom of God. See, for me to go to do that, to me, I would be confirming a life and a lifestyle that eventually will lead somebody to hell. How is that loving? How much do I have to hate somebody to not tell them that what they're doing is wrong? Now listen to me. I want to make a point here before I close. My point today is not women pastors. My point today is is not homosexuality. My point is that this is how the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. This is how the Holy Spirit wants to guide you. When you run into questions and issues in the world and and all this pressure is coming down, He's telling you, go to your instrument panel. Don't trust what you see. Don't trust what you feel, what other people are saying you need to do. Go to the Word of God. It's got the answers if you're willing to be a workman who will study to show themselves approved. I want to close this morning with this. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. Not a, not a Pharisees, it was just a, a crowd. And this is what he said. He said, you look to the west and you see a cloud forming. And you say to yourself, it's going to rain today. And he said, you're right, it happens. You, you get up in the morning and you feel a south wind. And you say to yourself, man, it's going to be hot today. And he says, you're right, it is. And then he said this, how is it? that you know how to interpret the signs of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the sign of the times. Let me, let me tell you, I'm not a prophet. I don't even claim to be. I have no idea what's going to happen five minutes from now, much less five years from now. i got no clue. But I can tell you, anybody with an ounce of common sense should be, see, be, be able to see there's a cloud forming. 
There is a storm coming. Open your eyes. We, something is happening out there. I want to give you three descriptions of the last days. Listen to this. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. I, I don't think I've ever seen a time in history where men hate good as much as they do right now. It goes on in the next list. It's proud. They're, they're proud of their sin. There's no, there's, they're not ashamed of it. They're proud of it. Hello? Hello? It says this, talking about the last days, it says only he who now restrains sin will do so until he's taken out of the way. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that restrains sin. And the Bible says there's coming a day where he'll pull back completely and chaos will break out on the earth. Because the Holy Spirit is constraining sin. Does it not feel like the hand is being pulled back already? Do you not? See, Jesus, He said, once a storm comes, everybody knows it's here. You should be able to see the cloud. You should be able to see the times that something is coming. The Bible goes on in the last days. In the last days, God will send them a great delusion so that they believe a lie. Folks, there are people all around you today that absolutely believe lies. There's no fact, there's no scientific evidence, they just believe lies. Doesn't it feel like there's a delusion going on out there in the world today? I close with this. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ and maybe you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, here's my word, hurry up. Hurry up. I'm not a prophet. I don't know. I'm just telling you, it, hurry up. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Today is as good a day as any. It, it, there's others of you here, and you've made a profession of faith. You, 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 you say you're a Christian, but this Bible just sits on your bedside, and you never even open it. You don't read it. And you're, and you're just going through life making decisions based on your feelings. How do I feel about this? And I'm telling you, the times that are coming, you don't want to be one of those people. You want to have an instrument panel that you can, you can just blot out everything that's going on around you and focus on this Word. But you need to know how to use this Word. You need to read this Word. You need to study this Word. Get in a Bible study. This is a critical point in history. Get in a Bible study. Learn what this Word says. Learn to make decisions and to guide your life based on this Word. And for those of you that are here today and you are strong Christians, you're mature Christians, you love this Bible, you read this Bible, you study this Bible, you, when you've got a decision to make, that's the first place you go. I've got a word for you. Be strong. Be courageous. Because at the time of history that we're in, we need men and women like Daniel that says, I will not eat the king's meat. I don't care what you say, I will stand on this Word. I will live my life by this Word, and I will not eat the King's meat. Be strong. Be courageous. And that means speaking out. That means when you find fellow Christians, or you find people, and they're not making good decisions based on the Word of God, that you'll speak truth into their life. But you've got to know the truth to do that. Who are we going to be? What type of people 
are we going to be? That's the question. Are we going to be people that's led by our feelings, by our emotions, by our impressions and intuitions, or are we going to be people of the Word? I'm going to ask Pastor Henry if he'll come. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.